If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Psalm 11. We're going to be in Psalm 11 today. You won't find it in your book. But as you're turning there, how many of you have been reading along with us and taking time in the season of stillness? You've been doing that, and uh, has the Lord been ministering to you? Have you been sensing the Lord's uh, word coming to you and just sitting at his feet? Uh, I have had the opportunity to speak with so many of you uh, throughout this time, and you've been reaching out uh, in ways and giving testimony about how lo- the Lord's speaking. I'm so thankful to hear that. Um, I know for me, I, as I'm walking through this, and my wife and I, we spend time, uh, we try to spend time daily at the end of our day going through and just sharing. What did you sense God was telling you today? What, what, what did you pick up on? What did you sense? And, and I tell you, I told you last week about a half an hour, spend a half an hour. And some of you are like, a half hour and six verses, that's impossible. Uh, and I don't know how many of you have done that. Maybe you've rushed through and you've just read it, and then you've just moved on. This isn't a Bible reading plan in that way. It's not check it off the list. It's sit and hear from God's word. And I did that on the first day, and I sat, and I, and I just was worshiping the Lord and reading and listening and trying to sense. And I got through and thought, wow, that felt like an hour, and it was eight minutes. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know how you felt, but here's what I know, and I could tell you each day. That when I start to sense the Lord is impressing something in my heart, it's not until after sometimes 25 minutes of me just kind of resting in his presence and slowing down, unplugging, disconnecting from everything and saying, Lord, I just want to hear from you today. I don't want to just study this and try to pick apart every, I just want to hear from you, Lord. And so I'd encourage you that some of you, you, you may have spent 10, 15, 20 minutes, but spend a whole half an hour with the Lord. Just with that and say, well, but, but there's just like a few verses. Then just read it again and then just pray and say, Lord, just speak to my heart right now and just be quiet in his presence. And uh, I know God will speak. Amen? Amen. So please do that. And, and as, uh, as you do, if you don't have one of these books and you didn't get one last week, you can go out to the info center after service. We have uh, some still left and you could pick one up. Just let them know uh, that, you, that you need one. And we hope that you will continue to be ministered to during this season of stillness. Well, what is a season of stillness? We talked about this last week and uh, in a few weeks ago on the, uh, on the 18th, we spoke about it of January. It's a time and a season between the time that God begins to reveal himself in someone's life and the time where they begin to uh, reach the place that God maybe had called them to. Often we see in Scripture that God brings a promise, a vision, into the heart and life of someone. And as he gives them that vision, they are excited about it, they're overjoyed. But often the vision doesn't become a reality instantly. But before it becomes a reality, there is a process they walk through. And as a part of that process, there is what we will call a season of stillness. It's a season where everything doesn't seem to make sense. It's a season where you're fleeing when you thought you'd be taking the throne. It's a season where you thought you'd be exalted and you've been humbled. It's a time where you think that you're going to go out into the world just like Jesus did and you're going to heal the sick and do all these things, but instead he tells you you have to go pray in an upper room. It's, it's a time where, where everything doesn't seem to be adding up and, and it always has this one thing in common, stillness, stopping, pausing in what you were doing, and then waiting on God. And at times, we come into those seasons in all different kinds of ways. But here's the one thing that's true in every season of stillness. The Lord himself speaks into the hearts of his people when they wait upon him. And I pray that that's been happening to you. That's been happening to me. And that's my prayer is if we are called to be the church that changed the world, the church we read about in this word, the church in the book of Acts, he brought them through a season of stillness where they 
pulled and stripped away everything else, and they just waited at his feet on his word, and he spoke so clearly and led them. And I'm praying that God is doing the same thing for us. Well, for today's message in Psalm 11, there's an idea that we need to understand from God's word because you may have picked up on it by now. You didn't need to get three days into the reading when you hit uh, Psalm 3 and you start reading it and you say, you know, first you're hearing all the, 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 the tree planted by the waters yielding fruit. Amen. Yes, you know, yes, Lord, it, this ministers to me. And, and then you get to this and it says, oh, Lord, how numerous are my enemies. Many attack me. Many say about me, God will not deliver him. That doesn't make me feel very comforted. That makes me feel distressed. That makes me wonder, oh, oh, like, what's going on? And you look there, and it says, this was written by David when he had to flee from his son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him. Well, here's what we need to know today about seasons of stillness. That oftentimes, a season of stillness comes at the end of many days of distress. One of the ways we can enter into a season of stillness comes having gone through some days of distress. And so for you, you may, you may say, my life has been marked by that word distress. Everything has been uprooted, unsettled. I, I don't know where I am. I don't know which way is up and down. Everything has been thrown off in my life. I am distressed by many trials, many troubles, many tribulations, many difficulties. Well, I'll tell you what, in the midst of that, God can bring you through a season of stillness and minister to your heart and your life and lead you out. How can he do that? by what we see and read about here in Psalm 11. So I'm going to read to you the first three verses, and then from there we're going to unpackage it for just a few moments. It says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart if the foundations are destroyed what can the righteous do what we see here in this psalm this is a psalm of david many of the first psalms that we read about in in, in the first opening chapters of psalms are psalms of david many was written by david and what we see here is a dialogue is an internal struggle that david is having it's a conversation that it opens with these first verses and David's having one of those conversations. Now, I'm guessing he's not writing it as he's talking. He's probably having one of those conversations you have with your boss after your boss leaves the room or the office, right? Uh, one of them that you have with the person that you were talking to where you're going through and you're having this conversation and they're not even there to hear it. Does anyone else do that? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you probably should be having that conversation with whoever it is you're talking to, but instead the wall or uh, your car or whatever it will do uh, as you're talking. Now, David's having this conversation and it's coming at a time when his life is full of days of distress. What's, what's interesting and ironic about this passage of Scripture is you will, you will want to pinpoint in someone's life, in David's life, when you read the psalm, well, where was he and what was going on in his life that led him to pen these words that we now read in Scripture? And, and the ironic part is when you read scholars talking about it, they say, you know what, this, uh, this most likely is the time when David is fleeing from Saul who is trying to kill him. But, you know what, as we think about it, there are also a couple other people that tried to assassinate David on a few occasions. And, uh, and then there was his son Absalom as well who tried to kill him. So, so it really could have been many, uh, one of multiple occasions that David was almost assassinated. I'm thinking, this poor guy that 
Thousands of years later, they're just not quite sure because people were trying to kill him so much that they couldn't figure out which one this Psalm 11 was written out of. And I think, man, this was the Lord's anointed, right? This was the one who, who the prophet pours the oil over his head. says, you're going to be king. And before that could ever happen, little would he know, number one, he was in a field tending to flocks when he was anointed. Little would he know just how long that journey would be, just how treacherous that road would really be for him to get from that place of the promise to the ultimate fulfillment of what God had for him. And that in those days of distress that he would pen some of these very words, that the enemies are creeping in the shadows. This psalm speaks of assassination attempts against David's life. Talk about something that would cause you to feel distress, to cause you to feel like you don't know what to do and where to turn. When you feel like everything you thought was safe is no longer safe. Everything you thought was secure is no longer secure. You know what David is doing? He's having this conversation with people that are advising him. And here's what they're saying to him. David, it's over. Go and flee into the mountains because that's the only place that you will be able to survive. Nowhere around here is safe anymore because people are creeping in the shadows. They are bending their bow. They are straightening the arrow. They're preparing to kill you. And then David says this one thing there at the end. He asks this question. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Everything he thought he could rest his life upon has been pulled out from under him. Have you ever been in a season like that before? Everything you thought you had security in is ripped away in an instant, and you're left there wondering, how did this happen to me, and where do I go from here? Talk about rock bottom. What happens when you hit rock bottom and then that rock crumbles and there's nothing, you don't even know what's beneath that. Like I thought I could go as low as I could go and now the foundation itself that I was resting on has even been destroyed. What can the righteous do? Here's what you need to know because God's word is very clear that if you are not one who is living a life seeking to be righteous, seeking to honor God, then every foundation you have in your life is actually a false foundation and it will eventually crumble and fall and fade. And the only thing you can do if you are not seeking to live a life that pleases God is to get onto the right foundation, is to turn your life towards God and begin to follow Him. Because every other foundation you will face in this life will be one that will be destroyed, will be shaken, that you will not be able to stand on. Now, there's a, an image here that, that David had thought he put his trust in a lot of things, and those things have been ripped away from him. He doesn't know where to turn or what to do. For us, we need to ask that question of ourselves. What are the foundations we have in our life? That's what I asked two, two uh, weeks ago. It was a question that came out. What do you do when the foundations, the things that you thought you could rest your life upon, are stripped away and destroyed? I remember this illustration of a... Uh, a lumberjack, and he's out, and he's getting ready to cut down some trees. And as he's going, he looks up, and as he's about to cut down this tree, and he looks up, there's a little bird that's gathering all of these twigs and all of these leaves and trying to build a nest. So as he's preparing the axe, he sees this bird. Call it a moment of weakness. Call it a moment of mercy. But this lumberjack realizes, oh, that thing's going to come crashing down. And so you know what he does? 
he grabs the back part of his axe, he starts hitting the tree. And as he hits the tree, this bird is like thinking its, its life is over, and it flies away, and he thinks, wow, great. But then it lands on another tree, and he says, no, that's a tree I'm going to cut down as well. So he goes over, and this guy spends the next hour or so going and smacking trees with his axe, trying to get the bird, and eventually the bird goes and lands on this rock and begins to build its nest there. And he says, good, now it won't be disappointed and destroyed at the end. And I thought, man, what an illustration of God, right? That at times we wander through this life, and it's like we're trying to build our life on this, on this firm branch that we think is going to hold us, on this mighty oak that we think we can rest on. But you know what? We have a God who sees it. And you know what he says in his word? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And that thing that you think is so secure in your life, it will be shaken. And so there are times where God will allow circumstances into our lives to smack against that tree. And you think your life is falling apart. But you know what the Lord says? There is a rock that you can fly to. There's a place that you can go and you can find everything you need. You will not be disappointed when you place your faith and your trust on that foundation. So what is the foundation at the bottom center of your life? Because some of us, we think it's Jesus just because we pray to prayer. No, the way you will know it is really, where do you find most of your security in this life? Is it in the things that you have? Because that could be shaken in an instant. Is it in your health? Because that could be shaken in a moment. Is it in something that you can do in your own strength? That can be shaken and will be shaken one day. These bodies will fail us. What we have will fail us eventually. And if all of our security is found in what we can do, then we are just like one of those trees that will be shaken, eventually will fall down, and it'll be turned to dust. What are we resting upon? How do we find peace in that? We need to rest upon the one whom we can stand as our rock. And you know what David says at the beginning of this verse? What does he say there? In the Lord I take refuge. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is that rock that I can rest on. The Lord is that safe place for me. The Lord is the one I can turn to, the one that I can lean on, the one that will never fail me, will never forsake me. How can you know that in the depths of your heart? How can you understand the Lord as your refuge? The first thing you have to answer is this question. You should just ask yourself this question. Maybe you'll write it down and put it somewhere. When you start to feel distressed, when you start to feel worried, it comes right out in verse uh, number four. If you read there in Psalm 11, it's this question that's asked. Who is on the throne? Just ask yourself that question time in and time out. Who is on the throne? Because here's what the word says. And this is where David turns and starts answering these questions. Where can the righteous turn when the foundations are destroyed? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his throne in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. First, man, who is on the throne? Are we on the throne? If we're on the throne of our own lives, then, then we will be disappointed. We will fail. But if we can remember this one thing, that we have a God who sits on the throne, who has final say and final authority in everything. And no matter what our life looks like today, tomorrow, no matter what lies ahead of us, we know who's on the throne. He's not getting up anytime soon. No one can challenge his place. He is on the throne. We have to answer the question we just talked about. Where is our foundation? And we have to finally ask this question. Who am I really seeking? Who am I seeking? Who am I seeking? 
what am I seeking? Am I seeking just what God could do for me? Am I just seeking pleasures in this life? Or am I seeking his face? Because when we seek the Lord, he will reveal himself to us. When we seek him with all all our heart, we'll find him. That's what God's word says. He'll give us a new heart and a new life. We'll receive a foundation that can never be shaken because the Lord is our refuge. Now, there's something you need to know about this word here in Psalm 11 that that just jumps out at me the, the more I've learned about it. Many of the Psalms we read, the opening line of the Psalm isn't just the opening line. It, it serves like when we read a newspaper, and some of you here are saying, what's a newspaper? It's a, the black and white thing that your grandparents read every now and again. Um, and they open it, and it, you know, it, it's printed on paper. It's big. Um, headlines were the way that many psalms are written. They are written in this headline form where the first thing that's said is really meant to encapsulate everything that comes after it. So what's our reading for today? What's, what psalm are we in as we're reading through the season of stillness? Does anyone know? Psalm 23. Some of you don't do your reading till night, I guess. Um, psalm 23 is where we're reading today. And does anyone know, don't look, what are the opening words to Psalm 23? Let's all say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that is really all you need to know about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So he makes me lie down and grieve. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. Why? Because he's my shepherd. I can go through the valley, the deepest, darkest valley, and I don't have to be afraid. Why? The Lord is my shepherd. He can prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In plain sight, I can be out in front of them. And I don't have to be worried anymore. Why? The Lord is my shepherd. I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he's my shepherd. He takes me home with him. You see how that word, that opening remark, is really meant to sum up everything about what's being said. The same is true in Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. The Lord is my refuge. So where am I going to flee to? I'm going to go to him. Why? Because he's my refuge. Where do you, what do the righteous do whenever all the foundations fail them? They turn to the Lord, their refuge. They take refuge in the Lord when they don't have any other refuge. Well, what is refuge? What is that? What, what does that actually mean? We hear that word a lot. A refuge is a place of safety or security. A place of protection is a refuge. Whenever that place of security is stripped away from you, when you no longer have that type of security, do you know what you become? A refugee. A refugee is someone whose security and safety has been stripped away from them. Their place of security, their place of comfort, their place of protection has been taken away from them. Whenever a person doesn't have refuge anymore, they become a refugee, someone that wanders around looking for a place of safety and protection. Do you know what happened in Psalm 11? you know what happened in so many times when we read some of these psalms that we're going through in this season of stillness? This man, David, was for parts of his life living as a refugee, as a place without, a person without a place of safety, a place of comfort. And, and for some of us today, if you have placed your comfort and your, your security and your safety, you think you'll find your safety in all of these things that this world can so easily take from you, these things that can so easily be shaken, do you know what you start to experience in your own life? You start to experience what it is to be a person without safety. You become a spiritual refugee, a person that has no place of safety, no place of refuge, nothing to lean upon because what you leaned upon has failed you, has been taken away, has been challenged by troubles and adversity. 
You live as though you're a spiritual refugee, a person without any place of safety or protection. Whenever we hear that word refugee, and we're hearing we're going to be taking a trip to minister to refugees, do you know it's possible to have everything stripped away and yet still have a refuge? Do you know it's possible to be classified as a refugee? Someone who has had to wander away, someone whose place of security has been stripped from them, and yet still you can have a place of protection, a place of safety. It's not provided by any government. It's not provided by the UN. It's provided by the Lord himself. When it says in his word, in the Lord I take refuge. Now you heard back some months ago as we came on a Sunday morning, we shared the burden as ISIS was moving through the Middle East that many were becoming refugees because they were given those four options. You remember those? Convert to Islam, pay the tax, which they could make up on the spot, leave everything behind, leave your home, leave your car, leave everything and just start walking or die. And many, instead of denying their faith in the Lord, instead of staying and, and dying, instead of converting, instead of continuing to pay some tax that could change at any time, they left everything. They became refugees and they wandered into Turkey and all kinds of different places. And our heart, church, you know our heart has been for them, praying for them, asking the Lord to minister to them. And I want you to come in the next few weeks. You're going to hear God's put a project on our heart that's big that we believe God's going to use for his glory. It's something we think he's ordained for us to be a part of. And we'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. But a few weeks ago, I was contacted by World Help, and we know the organization World Help. They uh, were able to minister to us through the Children of the World Choir. Do you remember that back in November? They contacted me a few weeks ago, and they said, Pastor Chris, uh, we know that you guys have taken up collection for the refugees, and we want to tell you about Pastor Gassan. Pastor Gassan um, used to pastor the largest church in Baghdad, Iraq. He came to faith in Christ in a very radical way, and uh, then persecution broke out, and and now Pastor Gasson has actually had to flee the country because he's on the terrorist uh, group's most wanted list of someone that they're trying to, to take their life. And he said, Pastor Gasson's going to be in the United States, and he's going to be close enough in your area that we could drive to be with you for a service if you'd like. Would you be willing to have him? We talked as leadership, said we'd be blessed to have him. And so this morning we have Pastor Gasson Thomas uh, who is formerly a pastor of the largest church in Baghdad, Iraq, who's with us this morning. And he's going to come and he's going to share a few words with us today. Thank you. Mr. Gassan. And uh, what I asked him is, I just asked if I could sit with him for a few moments and we could just uh, talk a bit. And I had the chance yesterday to, we spent the afternoon together. And don't worry, my, my wife and I celebrated Valentine's on the 13th. And, uh, and then we all came together, a group of us from the church. He celebrated with me yesterday. Yes. <laughs> and um, we got to hear Pastor Gasson's story. And uh, Pastor Gasson has been through so much with his family. He's currently living in Australia. But God has done such a work. And I think it's so important for us to hear about some of that. And so would you start, Pastor Gasson, by just telling us about how you came to Jesus and how you started a church that grew into the biggest church in, in Baghdad. Amen. Um, it's it's honor to be with you this morning. And um, my name is Gassan Thomas. I born in Iraq. Um, I used to live in a very simple life. Uh, and I received a message one day to go to Christian church. And I went to that church. Well, I have a question and I read 
many books. That question was, if I die today, where I will go? Uh, I read Quran hundred times, no answer. I went that day for the church, and the message touched my heart, and it was from Isaiah, and to answer my question, and I opened my heart for Jesus Christ in 1991, and since that time, I promised my Lord I will serve him in all my life. Uh, amen. <laughs> and after that, we start a church underground because it was difficult uh, to start a church, a new church under Saddam Hussein regime. But uh, after the war, we pray for freedom and God send freedom for us through American military. And after that, we start a church uh, with 25 people after a few months became 1,000 and after that 1,500 people. Mm -hmm. And we put big sign of the building, Jesus is the light of the world. And it was first time in history of Iraq put verse from Bible of the building. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, you, uh, you, you said, and I heard in uh, listening to some of your other testimonies how that was a uh, something that was met with some resistance when you put that verse up on the building, you got a, a pretty nasty note. Do you want to talk to us about what happened there? Yes. Um, one day I, I went to the church and I saw there is a cardboard on the church. It said, Jesus is not the light of the world. Muhammad is the light of the world. We are warning you, we are Islamic country. And they signed down Islamic Shiat party. I know their center very well uh, where, and I just remember, I read Quran many times, they have 99 name of Allah, their God, except God is love. We have God is love. For this reason, the key to break these evil things through love. And I put in my pickup truck some relief and food, uh, children gifts, and I went to their center. Uh, and I told them, I want to meet your sheikh, Imam, the leader of that party. They said, why? Who you are? I said, I am a pastor and I have some relief for your poor people. And I should meet him. He came with his bodyguards and some sheikhs. Uh, I introduced myself and I said, uh, I have some relief for your poor people. He said, oh, it's very kind of you. Thank you. And I said, I have a special gift for you. I will give you a copy of Bible. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I said, but let me read what Jesus said about himself. I read when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, yeah, we trust your book, we trust Jesus. I said, if you trust my book and Jesus, I show him, who wrote this cardboard? <laughs> I just love you and I came here to help your poor people and you against me, they were shamed and he told me, I'm sorry, we apologize and since today we will be your friends and I will send my men to come and protect your church and worship in your church. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, the, the boldness and the stories of how God, Amen. Moved, how Amen. God moved through that. And, uh, but as time went on and as you, your church grew, and you became uh, a marked person. Would you talk about some of the, the challenges that then came along with you, yeah. putting your faith in the Lord and in, in being someone that was bold? They, they knew you were a believer, and I know they came to you and threatened you at different times. Yes, uh, as you said, we have many challenges we face. You don't face it here in the United States. You are living in a big Disneyland here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we don't have electricity. We don't have safe 
roads. Um, but at the same time, uh, people love to come to the church and they invite their neighbors, their friends. Uh, they come and they become a Christian. Many Muslims became Christians. Hundred people, I baptized them. Uh, and they tell their parents, their families, and you know in Sharia law, if someone becomes a Christian, he should die. They should kill him or burn him. Uh, and they start against me as a senior pastor for the church. And especially in the last years, I start planning churches in north and south of Iraq, many spiritual children from Muslims background. Uh, it makes me target. One day I was in the church, it was Monday morning. I have a meeting with uh, some uh, youth in my ministry and some leaders. Uh, the police came to my church and they came to my office. They wear police uniform, but they look different, something evil in their face. And they told me, we want to talk with you privately. I said, nothing privately between you and me, and there is a leaders of the church, and if you have something, just say now. They became upside down. They put their guns on my head. They said, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to change the religion here in this country from Islam to Christianity? We will kill you now. And just quickly, God gave me verse or words from, uh, from him. And I said, yes, okay, okay. If you kill me now, I know where I will go. They said, we don't care where you will go. <laughs> By the way, where are you going if we kill you? <laughs> I, <laughs> I said, I will go to heaven. They laughed. They said, we came to kill a crazy person. How do you know? And uh, like this, the Bible opened on my desk, and I said, read what Jesus said in, in uh, John chapter 3 and John chapter 1. They laughed, and they left me. It was a miracle. They said, we will not kill you now, but you will die soon. Believe us, you will die soon. And that week, they killed the three pastors in Baghdad, yes and you will be next, and they left me. I said, before you go, I love to give you Bibles, guys. And I gave them <laughs> Bibles, they left me, but after that meeting, uh, the leaders of the church decide, with my wife, I should leave Baghdad. I left Baghdad, I went to north of Iraq, and there I planned also some churches. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> While you were going through some of that, you, you saw uh, that the persecution and the difficulties became uh, even worse for you and for your family. And would you mind just telling us about some of those things as yeah, well? Yeah, after a few months, I feel I should go back to Baghdad. I went back to Baghdad. The situation became very bad that time. Sometimes we go to the church, big explosions. Some part of buddies come to the church. We clean the church. We take the buddies and put it in the bags and call the police and give them these buddies. And we, we start our worship. It became part of our life. One time my children play in the garden and it was next door, big explosion. And I opened the door. I said, kids, come quickly inside. They said, what's happened? It's just explosion. I closed my eyes and said, well, well, what's their future? If they grow with this situation and they start threatening my son, the oldest son, Mark, he looks like Western people. He has blonde hair, blue eyes, and they thought he is from American family. And they tried to kidnap him many times. We send him to, uh, to Jordan, live with American missionaries. He stayed there uh, three years. He was 12 years old. And this start with my wife, like something broke her heart. Uh, because her son, not with her, 
12 years old, like Joseph in the Bible. He left us. After, uh, after that, they start hit my another son, Andrew, in the school because he don't celebrate their situation or their celebrations, I, I mean. Uh, my daughter, beautiful daughter, Grace, uh, that time she's seven years old. You know, in Sharia law, when the, when the girl become eight, she can marry. Because Muhammad's wife, he got married when she became eight. Uh, if the parents of that girl refuse uh, give their daughter for marriage or something like this, they mean, they again, or it means they again is Quran and they should die. And one day my daughter came to my house. She said, there is a leader, a sheikh came today in the school and he saw me. He said, girl, you are beautiful. Next year you will marry my son. And my wife looked at me and said, what, what, what we are doing here? But also we have vision. We, we continue. But one day, it was in June 2011, I was in garage and suddenly my wife and my children said, please come inside. There is a laser light on your head. I went inside and my wife called police and the police came, fight with some snipers. They tried to kill me. God protect me that night. And that night when they are fighting outside, I received call from United States. I said, who is this? He said, I'm Vernon Brewer, the leader of World Health. He said, we are praying for you. And suddenly I feel I should call you. I said, maybe it will be the last call. They are outside trying to kill me. And now you call me. Uh, <laughs> He said, uh, we will pray now for you. If you come to leave, leave, because we read in many websites, you are now became a target. Um, anyway, that night, God protect me. We wake up in the morning. I saw they killed my neighbor. They put his body in a, uh, in a box. They burned the box, put it in the garage, and you, they told me you will be next. My wife shocked. She had a trauma. And after that, she told me, I, 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 can't, I can't anymore live here. I, I really exhausted. Uh, my son not with me, and I will, suddenly I will be widow, and I don't like to live as a widow. Uh, I love to save my son, Andrew, and Grace. Let us live. As a family, can you imagine you have through 24 hours decision to leave your country, to leave your vision, to leave your dreams, to leave your home, to leave your memories, to leave your clothes, to leave your albums, to leave everything, and suddenly, through one week, you become a refugee. We went to Turkey. Just when I saw my dear brother Howard, I hugged him maybe 15 minutes, I just cry. Cry for many things. I don't know the future. I don't know what, where I will go. I don't know the, <laughs> the United Nations what will do with me. I, I don't know many things, many, many question marks, tons of question marks in my head. Just, I said, my Lord, now I put everything between your hands. And we became a refugees in Turkey. Mm. As we were getting ready for this past, this, this actual weekend, in this season of stillness, it was going to be around trials, difficulties, suffering. And, and as we were walking, God just kind of brought all these pieces together. And, and I told my assistant, uh, Drew Ann, and we've already talked about this, I said, I'm going to preach out of Psalm 11. And I said, as I pray, the more I pray, the more I think about Pastor Gasson. And if anyone would understand what it means to read Psalm oh, yeah. 11, yeah. 
And as we were talking yesterday, I started saying Psalm 11. He just lit up. And uh, why did you light up when, when I started telling that we would preach out of Psalm 11 today? It was my psalm every day, you know? Uh, maybe there is no refugees here except me. I was a refugee. Uh, you, okay, great. You can understand me. Uh, you know what the refugees, we live in a country. We don't know where we will go. We don't know when. Uh, we don't know how long. We don't know uh, what we will do about our children. There is just outcome, nothing income. They don't allow us to work. We don't know which country. Many questions mark, like a curtain and nothing behind it. We don't know. But because I am a Christian, when I read this, uh, this psalm, uh, ah, now I am a refugee and you are my refuge. Mm. The peace I will find it with you, not with the country I will go. The peace or the, the strength I will take it from you, not from the government or United Nations. The power I will take it from you, not from my credit card or from my job. And I start share that with among the refugees, and I plant a church in Turkey, and the church grow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And out of that, in Turkey, we actually got a phone call <laughs> after the service. So I get out, I said, you know, if some people want to meet you, he says, I got to go, go make a phone call. I said, okay, you can go make a phone call in my office. I get in there, and it's the church that you, one of the churches you planted in Turkey. Yes. They were beginning their service, and they wanted pa Pastor Ghassan to pray over them, the leaders. So just like an hour and a half ago, he's praying over these leaders that are there. And one of the people he's praying over, I was so happy to get to see him on video, is Omar. And you have to tell Omar's story. Uh, Omar was with ISIS. His job was when the, when the ISIS go and kill the family, he go after them. When they finish and, and leave, uh, he go after them. See, each one still live, he finish his life. Go ahead and let's put up that picture of him when he was with ISIS. Yeah. Omar came to Turkey to follow those people, became a Christian, to start kill them. And he heard there was a church in, in the city I used to live. He came to that church, and that day he heard the message, and he opened his heart for Jesus Christ, and he became upside down another person, follow Jesus, study Bible every day. And uh, he, he has now very tender heart. When I speak something, he starts to cry. I said, Omar, how come? You used to kill many people. He said, don't remind me. And he started to cry again. <laughs> he said, I should be a pastor in the future. In the past, he used to kill people. Now, he starts to save people. He was uh, on the phone with, with you. We were on the phone with Omar. I got to say hello to him. In Turkey, before they started their church service, that was amazing. Amen. At 10.30 in the morning today. With, with that, he said, he, he's challenged you. He said that you, you were the pastor who had the biggest church, but he's going to take that over soon. Yes, he said, I will, be, I will serve more than you. I will help people more than you. I said, hallelujah. That's what I want. Go ahead. <laughs> pastor Gassan's going to be with us tonight, and I don't want to let the weather get in the way of us hearing from him. He's going to share his testimony tonight at our night of worship and prayer. He's going to just share from his heart and many stories that will move your heart, many things that I think we need to know because we don't, 
get to hear it through all of the news outlets. And this story may seem like it's over in many people's minds. No, it's not. And the work that God is doing is an amazing work. And they said, you know, while ISIS has done something what seems to be so terrible, God is turning it around for good. And many thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands will hear and come to know Jesus because of this. And tonight we need to pray for that, but we're also going to get to hear from our brother. I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll be here and you'll get a chance to experience this ministry. And uh, can we just at this time thank him so much for sharing thank with you. us? Thank you so much, thank Pastor. You. Thank you. Would you stand with me? Pastor Brian's going to come. and I want you just to think about these words, church. In the Lord I take refuge. You've gotten to hear today from a refugee, someone who knows what that means. I said to him yesterday, I said, how do you know, like, how does, has this shaped when you read these passages and say, the Lord is my refuge and my strength? When, when, how, how do you like, because you don't see that the same way I see that. I don't even understand this like I thought I did. And he said to me, he said, you know, it'd be like me asking someone in America, What's apple pie like? He said, we could tell them what apple pie is like because you tasted apple pie. He said, I've tasted what it means to say that God is my refuge. And you know what, church? We can taste and experience that as well. Because you know what? These promises from God are not just for Pastor Gasson and this refugee community. It's for every person who's allowed the foundation of their life to be on something that has been pulled away from them. And today, when you feel hopeless, when you feel spiritually, the way he's been describing his physical life that he's been walking through, and you could say, yeah, in a moment, I thought my life that I had has been ripped away from me, and I'm wandering around, and I feel like I can't see the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like I'm spiritually like a refugee. I don't have any place of safety or security anymore. I don't know which way to go and what to do. This word can be for you. God is your refuge. He will be your strength. He will be your peace. If someone could stand before you and their life has been almost taken from them, their family almost taken away from them, and they can say, God is my refuge, how much more can we say the same thing? So right now, would you just close your eyes and would you bow your heart in the presence of God and I don't know where you've been and I don't know you, what you've been trusting in but please do not wait until that is stripped away before you find out who your refuge really is I'm going to read through Psalm 11 and if today you're just saying you know what Lord you're my refuge I reach out to you I want you to literally with your hand as I'm reading God's word if you just say Lord that's me just reach your hands towards him stretch your hands towards him and say Lord come and be my refuge today I trust in you I'm going to read and you just respond to the Lord out of the depths of your heart as he impresses it on you in the Lord I take refuge how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they make their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's the answer. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. In his eyes, behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. He shakes every tree. 
and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. That's the wicked. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. Lord Jesus, we call out to you today. Lord, we take refuge in you. Lord, I pray for every wandering heart that has been fleeing from you, Lord. I pray for every person that has been resisting you. I pray for every person that with their mouth has confessed to your Lord, but they built their life on other things, Lord, and as that foundation has been shaken, Lord, they turn to you today and they say, I get it, Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, I don't want the portion that this world gets. You're my portion forever. So, Lord, come and breathe into their lives today. Come and minister to them by your Holy Spirit's power. Come and touch them, Lord God, and revive them, restore them, lift them up on wings like eagles, we pray, Lord God. May they be held in that safe place. And, Lord, I pray in this season of stillness, Lord God, that soon, soon and very soon, that those that have been living in days of distress will experience a season of stillness where you speak to the depths of their heart where you minister by your word, where you lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.